Welcome to the Paul Post podcast, in which Professor Post discusses a variety of national security topics. Professor Post is an assistant director of the Chicago Projects on Security and Threats, or CPOST, and the author of three books, The Economics of War, Organizing Democracy, and Arguing About Alliances. You can follow him on Twitter at Prof. Paul Post. a lot of talk and a lot of rhetoric around over the horizon but is that what we're seeing in play at the moment from the biden administration no we haven't shifted to the over the horizon strategy yet we are going through a transition period hopefully we will be transitioning to an over the horizon counterterrorism policy but significant numbers of ground forces and troops in the country actually operating in the country in a serious way, you would not be in an over-the-horizon posture. So it's the case that uh, the real over-the-horizon policy is starting now or the possibility of it is starting now. We fully left yesterday, so now we're in a position where we really are talking about an over-the-horizon counterterrorism capability. What does over-the-horizon actually mean? Over-the-horizon means that uh, the country that is trying to prevent the terrorist group is outside of the country. Its military forces are outside of the country that the terrorist group is operating in. So in this case, we are really worried that ISIS-K, which is a terrorist group that has been in Afghanistan since late 2014, early 2015, it's an affiliate and offshoot of ISIS from Iraq and Syria. We're worried that ISIS-K is not just going to do terrorist attacks inside of Afghanistan, but will establish a base of operations from which they can plan operations in Afghanistan to attack us in the United States or to attack. Uh, Westerners or to attack um, Americans and Westerners really anywhere around the world. So we're very much um, concerned that Afghanistan will again become a uh, base of operations for terrorist groups that will be a base to attack uh, the United States. And that's what happened in the 1990s with uh, when bin Laden's group, Al-Qaeda, was in Afghanistan. They had a base in Afghanistan. It was called Tarnak Farms. Tarnak Farms had dozens and dozens of buildings. This was not, you know, three little houses. This was not a set of apartments. Um, Tarnak Farms was an established terrorist base. That is what bin Laden used for years to train 20,000 Uh, Islamic fighters for different terrorist groups around the world, and also where Mohammed Atta came, visited, met with bin Laden and other al-Qaeda leaders, and really was the beginning, the germination of what became the attack on 9-11 in the United States. So that terrorist base of operations is something that we don't want to have happen again. And so it's really very important to take, uh, to consider that we need a policy in order to thwart the repetition of that Al-Qaeda-like group that would be 
coming from outside of Afghanistan, planning itself in Afghanistan, building a base, and then using that base as a planning base where they can bring operatives in, they can plan, they can train in order to do operations outside of Afghanistan to hurt us. Over the horizon, policies seek to destroy bases like that when they come into existence and also to attack targets of opportunity, that is terrorist leaders or mid-level terrorist operatives that are important for terrorist operations by groups like uh, ISIS-K or Al-Qaeda who would try to use their presence in Afghanistan to harm us in different ways. So an over-the-horizon policy uses American intelligence, uses American special forces, and uses American air power in order to attack established terrorist bases inside of a country and in order to attack targets of opportunity, meaning terrorist leaders and mid-level terrorist operatives, all while not having American troops and forces inside the country. What are the essential elements there, though? In the U.S. Air Force, you certainly have the air power, but it's more than having the ability to bomb people, surely. That's right. There's five essential tools you need to achieve the goals of Over the Horizon. Again, the goals of Over the Horizon are against terrorist groups are two things. Number one, the ability to destroy established terrorist bases, And number two, the ability to attack and kill terrorist leaders and mid-level operatives who have certain skills, which are called targets of opportunity because they're fleeting and they may not be in an established space. They may be driving in a car near a road near uh, uh, and so forth. So those two, uh, two tactical or operational objectives, destroy established bases and have the capability to attack targets of opportunity. In order to do that, you need to have five tools at your disposal. The first one are American assets, as you said. So um, the United States has enormous air power capability. We have special forces that we can move in and out of countries, just like we did in the bin Laden raid. We also have an enormous amount of intelligence assets that we don't talk about that are not located in countries, but are located in space or that are aerial, long distance aerial. It's what, when people in the government use this term ISR, that's typically what they're referring to is a whole suite of classified intelligence and surveillance and reconnaissance platforms that are, um, they don't talk a lot about, but it's really our, and when they say we have the most extraordinary intelligence capabilities in the world, that's what they're talking about. No other country on the planet has the suite of space and other aerial or called long distance overhead ISR platforms like the United States does. So that is pillar number one. That's tool number one. We've got that in space. However, we also need number two, a regional air base of some stature. Number three, we need local bases surrounding the country. Number four, we need local intelligence from the government of the country we're operating in. And number five, we need informant networks separate from the local government inside the country we're operating in. In the case of Afghanistan, now today we have about two and a half 
of these five elements. So again, element number one, U.S., let's call them U.S. resources or U.S. assets. We've definitely checked the box on U.S. assets. Element number two, a large regional air base. Well, that's IUD air base in Qatar. Uh, that is about three to four hour flight away from Afghanistan. That is where we can station large bombers like B-52 bombers that can carry large payloads. We have that for sure. Number three, a local air base. Well, that would be a local base for drones or other tactical craft in either um, Tajikistan, which is just to the northeast of Afghanistan, um, or in Pakistan, just to uh, the east of Afghanistan. Does not appear we have that. Number four is working intelligence from the Taliban. Uh, well, I give that half credit right now because uh, it does appear as if the Taliban gave us some intelligence that was helpful for the airport. Whether that will continue in the future, either because they won't be willing to do it or they can't do it is a big question mark. I'd give them half credit there. And then number five is informant networks inside of Afghanistan. Well, those informant networks here um, have been uh, very likely very, very disrupted by the nature of the last three weeks of this horrible, messed up withdrawal from Afghanistan. So we had hundreds of thousands of, of Afghans who worked for us, that is who were possibly informants, by the way, and probably likely had been informants. Um, so we had the beginnings of an informant network that may be possible to put together again in the future. It's not completely impossible, but the last three weeks for multiple reasons here have likely thrown a gigantic wrench in that. So what I would say is we have again, uh, US ISR uh, special forces and air power capability. We have the regional air base in Qatar, and we have about, I would give sort of half credit to uh, intelligence coming from the Taliban, but we don't have, um, as best we can tell, a local working air base in Pakistan or Tajikistan. And we probably shouldn't count at all that we have informant networks that are really going to be working for us over the next four to six months. So what does that mean? If you have these two objectives, that is destroy established air base and then hit tar leading targets of opportunity, and you have two and a half of the five pillars. What do we have the capability to do today and what are we missing the capability to do? Well, very, uh, we very high capability to destroy any established base that would occur by ISIS-K or uh, any Al-Qaeda group or any other external group parachuting into Afghanistan. We have a tremendous amount of power, intelligence in order to uh, identify bases here. When I mean bases of Tarnak Farms, as I said, was dozens and dozens of established buildings. We probably have the ability uh, when we scour Afghanistan to find something a quarter of the size of Tarnak Farms. I'm not saying you can find somebody sitting in a basement playing on, you know, with a computer. But what I'm saying is that the idea that there would be even three or four buildings here in an area that's really a developed terrorist base where they're organizing and planning operations in a serious way, that's probably something um, with the capabilities we have today, we can very likely find it, very likely target it, and very likely completely destroy it. 
as by the way, we could have in the 1990s had we chosen to act. There was in the 1990s with Tarnak Farms, the problem was we couldn't find Tarnak Farms. No, we have pictures on uh, from French satellites of Tarnak Farms in 2001. So we definitely had the pictures of Tarnak Farms. The problem is we did not have a serious effort to destroy Tarnak Farms. That is what we could do uh, today. What we can't do, what's missing, and you're seeing this in uh, some of the issues even in Afghanistan during the evacuation, are the capability to hit those fleeting targets of opportunity. That is the dimension where we are likely quite weak and will be weak for some time. Now, to hit targets of opportunity, this is where the local bases, this is where the local informant information, the human, this is where the information from the Taliban is most important. Why? It's because targets of opportunity. These are a fleeting in space and time, meaning that it's very important to have that accurate intelligence where uh, the bad guys are likely to be uh, within a few hours of time and within a few hours of space so that then you can have local platforms like drones coming from a base just uh, 50, 60 miles away or 100 miles away operate in that space in order to attack the target of opportunity. That really does require more of these local bases that I'm describing and more of the local human intelligence that I'm describing. It's not that you can't do anything without it. It's just that that's what we mean when we're saying we're missing pieces. In terms of though destroying, I just want to come back to destroying an established base that would look like Tarnak Farms or anything close to Tarnak Farms, that is really a job for the long distance American intelligence platforms, heavy air power coming from a military base like IUD air base in Qatar. And that's something that we really do have a tremendous amount of capability to achieve that part of it. So I would say today, we have about uh, two and a half of the five pillars we need for an over-the-horizon capability, and we can achieve about half of the mission that you want with the over-the-horizon capability. Obviously, we'd like to achieve 100% of the mission of, with, uh, with over-the-horizon. It strikes me that human intelligence is where the ability comes in to ensure the accuracy of your intelligence it would surely allow for greater precision in your strike, but also multiple options as to where and when to strike. That's exactly right, Rod. So that's probably what you're seeing with the limits uh, here. Without having access to the classified materials, we can't really Monday morning quarterback the strike that just happened in Kabul, where they went to destroy the bomb laden with explosives and then appear to have killed children and so forth nearby. However, hypothetically, that it's exactly right that when you lack human intelligence on the ground, you're reducing your possibilities of attacking that fleeting target of opportunity in a space that will have minimal collateral damage. The human on the ground could be, to some extent, substituted by, you know, gathering and uh, what's called signals intelligence, which is really NSA listening mostly on cell phones and tracking cell phones. 
However, what you uh, what you're just you're just limited because it becomes more Swiss cheese, where then you really are dependent upon the part you can really see, which might be right next to a school, which might be right next to an apartment building uh, with kids there, and you're forced to attack that not because you don't know the kids are there, but because that really is just all you got. You, you don't have another chance to save what you'll believe are still more lives that would be lost by letting that car bomb explode and kill another 200 Afghans down the road. Overall, the issue here is that we really have two operational missions with over the horizon for a group like ISIS-K or Al-Qaeda, which is an external group, mostly external group, coming and trying to establish a uh, itself inside of Afghanistan. We have two missions, destroying established bases and hitting targets, leading targets of opportunity. And we have five pillars and we have two and a half of those pillars now that which are gonna be very good for established bases, but we're missing the other two and a half, which is what we'd really want for a more comprehensive OTH uh, policy over time. And that is the withdrawal, this, this you know, very horribly executed withdrawal is probably setting back the timetable for establishing those other two and a half considerably. It doesn't mean they can't be done, but it does mean that an extraordinary amount of effort is going to be needed now in order to make up for the consequences of this uh, um, uh, of the last three weeks. There is a third element, and that's the political element, the, the effect that it has not only on the image of the president of the United States, but on the image of the United States itself. The math just doesn't seem to add up that the death of seven children compensates the death of 13 military personnel. Well, certainly that is uh, the political math in the region and around the world outside of the United States. I think we can bet that most of the American public, once there was the death of 13 soldiers as a result of a suicide, uh, suicide attack, is going to give wide latitude to our military and our government to try to prevent that from happening again. The political element of what you're describing is going to be an obstacle going forward for establishing those local bases, uh, especially in Pakistan and Tajikistan, because those governments are not going to want to be part and parcel of um, collateral damage operations. That's not that's exactly one of the issues that is going to be a, a, a problem for those governments. And that's why the, uh, the mix of over the horizon is really involves these five pillars. So you really want not to rely on any one of these pillars. You want to have all five of the pillars because what that does is it maximizes the chance you'll be able to achieve your operational objectives with the minimum amount of collateral damage and other side effects that you don't want to have happen. Uh, you take any of those pillars away, those five pillars away, it doesn't mean you can't do anything, but the risks just expand. So you're just, uh, it's an accordion. So you take one pillar away, you need to rely more on the others that has error, the others have errors. So you're just naturally increasing 
the uh, uh, possibilities of collateral damage and negative side effects as you go forward. So the, the over-the-horizon policy is one that requires a real strategy, requires real sustained commitment. It's not a cut-and-run strategy. It's a reduce inside, withdraw inside the country to win strategy, but it does require a sustained commitment because uh, the idea that you can not have all the pieces. It's sort of like um, uh, in American football, if uh, you decided uh, you're up against uh, the, the offense, it has 11 guys and you come on the field and you only have seven. <laughs> well, there's no um, seven guys, no matter how strong the NFL defense is. If you put any, any 11, the worst NFL offense of 11 up against the best NFL seven, the seven's going to lose every single time and probably get hurt along the way. So you really need to have the full pillars of over the horizon. Um, and it really is going to be a question for the Biden administration. Are they up for a sustained commitment here? And I don't think there's any way for us to know today. We can guess at that. But I think it really is, uh, we haven't been in this position, and Biden hasn't been in this position before, of ending a 20-year commitment on the ground in Afghanistan that has been such a disastrous failure. So now we need to see, does the Biden administration uh, have the wherewithal for the commitment, for the over-the-horizon strategy they said they were going to pursue? Those five pillars make the difference between a surgical cut and blunt force trauma. Should the Biden administration even be using the term over the horizon at the moment? I think that they need to unpack. Now, what I would say is up until now, uh, it's been easy for the world to give the Biden administration a pass on what it meant by over the horizon because until American troops truly left Afghanistan, it was still the old strategy. The old strategy really hadn't kicked in. Now is the real time to be questioning uh, the Biden administration on what are the pillars? What are the operational objectives? It's any strategy is a means ends chain. And today I just laid out for you, what are the specific aims, the specific ends, and what are the specific means? Um, that is what a strategy is. A strategy is not a bumper sticker. It's not a, we win today. A strategy has a means ends chain. And so far, I don't think there's been a single question asked of President Biden about what are the means ends chain of over the horizon. It's, it's not just by folks like, like me, but I don't think any of the journalists uh, over the last four months have ever once asked President Biden, so uh, President Biden, could you please unpack for us what you mean by the means ends chain of over the horizon? So, and, and I think the reason is because everybody has really understood that we haven't transitioned to that yet. Well, now we have, or we certainly have left the old strategy. Whether we're actually moving to the new strategy that is the real question here, um, and that starts today.